the biggest barrier for most people is themselves. It's mindset. It's fear. It's allowing you to get in your own head and being your worst critic and not really giving yourself the chance to succeed. Actually, people are more afraid of success than they are of failure. Hi, this is Diana Burnell O'Leary with Job Talk Weekly. I've heard so much about virtual assistants, I thought it might be helpful to talk about the profession, not just for people who want to become a virtual assistant, or a VA, as we say, but also for folks who might want to hire one. So I went to the source. Today, we talk with Gina Horky, an entrepreneur and founder of The Horky Handbook. Her business helps people find virtual assistants or those who want to train to become one. She gives us some terrific insights into working with others remotely, as well as her own success as an entrepreneur. But before we start, I need your help. We're doing an episode about bad boss stories. So I'd love to hear from you. Send us your horror stories of working with a crazy boss. We'll keep the names out of it. Send us a message on Instagram or email us at info at jobtalkweekly.com. And you can help us for our future episode on how to handle crazy bosses. Okay, let's jump in. Hi, Gina. Welcome to Job Talk Weekly. Hey, thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Well, I'm so glad to be speaking with you because I feel like over the past few years, I had heard about virtual assistants, but I hadn't given it much thought. But over the last year, especially with the pandemic, I feel like they're everywhere. So we're going to want to talk about being a VA, what it's like to hire one. But I want to start with you first. So tell us about your business today. Sure. That's a great question. Um, So primarily our customers are people that want to start a virtual assistant business or already have, and they're looking to be more successful and scale either by becoming a specialist in what it is that they offer so they can command the highest rates possible and work with their ideal clients or potentially going into an agency model because they maybe don't have any more of their own time to trade for pay. So those are our students. Those are our primary customers. And then I run in lots of circles with people like yourself, other entrepreneurs and small business owners that are looking for good qualified help. And while they're not our primary customer, we do have a free virtual assistant finder service on our website, horkyhandbook.com. And that's one of the great ways that I can match make my two favorite types of people, entrepreneurs looking for good help and kick-ass virtual assistants that are growing their businesses by being of service to others. Well, let's talk about being an entrepreneur. Tell us about what you were doing before this, when you were working for a company, before you became self-employed. Yeah. So, you know, when I look back, most of my jobs were in sales, which is a Mm. pretty key indicator that entrepreneurship is for me. I'm very interested in uh, having my effort directly relate to my compensation, right? So (laughs) it's not necessarily the harder you work, but the smarter you work. I mean, that goes all the way back to being a server and busting my butt for tips because I knew that if I serviced my customers really well, that would directly impact how much take-home pay that I had. 
Um, and then I went into the weight loss industry where I was in college and ran a, a center for that for a while. And that also had a lot to do with selling customers on the program and, and continuing membership and things like that. And my background educationally was actually psychology. And what's so funny, and I'm sure that this will really come into play in our conversation today. If you look at how societally we're conditioned to figure out what we're going to be when we grow up, it's not based in a lot of uh, experimentation and practice, right? Instead, it's like, what sounds interesting to me at this moment in time when I have to choose my major in college? So the only reason that I went into psychology as my major, and I had a minor in sociology, is that I enjoyed my psychology 101 professor. He was kind of quirky, a little zany, and he made the class really fun and interesting. And And I don't regret that by any means, because I think it translates super well into sales and running a business, because it's all about the science of people and why we do what we do, right? Yeah. But, you know, I didn't have a real great foundation as far as what to choose from and what that looked like in practice. And I didn't go into continuing my education and being a mental health therapist, for example. Mm. And all of this to say, I went into finance. So I didn't have a finance major, but I went into finance as a career, specifically in sales as a financial advisor. I worked uh, building my own client base for a long period of time. And then as we were preparing to have a family, I found an opportunity. And this also happened to be during the Great Recession. So really fun time to be an advisor and um, managing money and things like that. But I was lucky enough to find this opportunity to bring part of my client base with me and then serve as a support person to a larger, very well uh, known in our area financial planning practice. And what's interesting about that point in my my journey is that it was an in-person opportunity to do what I ended up doing after that as a virtual assistant. So tell us about being self-employed. Like, how did you go about making the the change, flipping the switch from having something on the side to then being self-employed? Yeah. So technically, I was self-employed this entire time. I just had a contractor <laughs> type of a relationship with the office that I worked at. Yeah. Um, so the that part of it wasn't real hard for me. Plus, I had been consulting with small businesses and, and personal finances and all that kind of stuff yeah. along that period of time. But I did have kind of a set schedule and set roles and responsibilities in my job as part financial advisor and part sub- service or support person in this office. And really what it came down to, I was 2000, it was 2014 and I was 29 at the time. And I, I started my whole path a little bit early. I went to college full time when I was 16 and graduated with my bachelor's when I was 19, total overachiever type A personality over here. Um, so I'd almost a decade into my career really at the age of 29, when I know some people are just kind of getting started. Yeah. And I was thinking about the next 30 years of my own life and planning for my own retirement. And I was like, Oh, if I had to wake up and do this for the next 30 years, I just don't think I would sign up for that again. Right. But I had made this commitment to not only my family as the breadwinner, but these clients that I had taken on and this office that I was affiliated with. And I felt a little bit handcuffed, like, am I really allowed to change my mind at this point? And again, this is back in 2014. And I battled with this probably, you know, the good six to 12 months before that, or maybe even longer, if I'm real honest. Yeah. Um, 
And I decided, hey, why don't I, you know, see what else is out there? So I turned to my trusty friend, Google. Yeah. And I don't even know what I put in as far as search terms, but I ended up coming across freelance writing yeah. for the web. And I didn't even really grasp that that was a thing that an everyday person could do. I thought you had to have a journalism background, you know, going back to training and college and all that kind of stuff. But it turns out that there's room for us everyday folks to succeed in areas that we didn't get trained in in our education. Yeah. But I think there's room for anyone like that who hustles hard enough and who mm. learns on the job and is willing to throw themselves out there. And you mentioned that you sort of always had this sales background. And I think that's key for any entrepreneur, whether you're baking cakes or you're a virtual assistant or whatever you're doing. Part of the job is selling yourself. And I think that oh, surprises yeah. some people who just want to go out on their own and do something. Um, but I also love what you did is that you sort of asked yourself the question, do I want to be doing this for another 30 years. And sometimes when I talk to clients who are maybe in their 40s or 50s, I say, is this your last job? Can you imagine retiring from this job? And they'll say, God, no. And then I'm like, well, then (laughs) we need to move. Okay, and we need to walk this through. So you went through that process yourself. And now Mm -hmm. you are helping train other virtual assistants. So tell us about what happens when someone thinks they might want to be a VA, but they're not sure. What should they do to go about um, researching that and figuring out if it being a VA is right for them? Yeah, I mean, I think the easiest thing is to really give it a shot because the um, amount of investment in resources, whether it be your time or financially, is really, really low. So if you think about, you know, the alternative of starting like a brick and mortar business, let's say Mm -hmm. a restaurant or a salon or something like that, you're looking at mega bucks when it comes to opening up that storefront for the very first time versus offering services online. You're really figuring out, hey, what are some of my skills and my gifts and my personality traits? What types of people could utilize my services? And then going putting yourself, uh, you know, raising your hand to be of service and to to be considered for those opportunities. So it sounds a lot more complicated than it really is. Obviously, we have training around it, and there is a reason for that because um, it's always easier, in my opinion, to learn from somebody that's gone down that route, down that path before to learn from their mistakes and the things that kind of sped up their journey as well. But really, when you break it down to kind of the base definition of what I describe and define a virtual assistant is, it's just anyone that's offering services or their time in return for pay from a small business owner or an entrepreneur that needs that help. And they're doing it from afar, which means virtually from their own home office or if they're traveling and have internet, you know, more power to you. You can really take your work with you, which I think is a a big aspect benefit that people are looking for is that location independence and that time freedom, because most of the things, the work that you take on, especially if you put your own search parameters around it, it's going to be things that you can do at two o'clock in the morning or two o'clock in the afternoon. It doesn't really matter. I do think that there are a couple of uh, myths or stereotypes around this kind of work that we could totally bust if you want. One of them is um, because the picture of a virtual assistant online is usually somebody with a headset with a microphone. People (laughs) assume that there's all this phone work when it's almost not at all the case. Yeah. 
Well, tell us a little bit about what surprises people, because I would imagine a lot of people go into being a VA because they want some type of flexibility. But that also yeah. means a lot of solitude, which might not be the right fit for people. So are there people who don't succeed or for whom this really isn't a fit? Yeah, I think honestly, the biggest um, barrier for most people is themselves. It's Mm. mindset, it's Mm -hmm. fear, Mm -hmm. it's allowing you to get in your own head and being your worst critic and not really giving yourself the chance to succeed. Actually, people are more afraid of success than they are of failure. So let's unpack that a bit. They're afraid of a client that actually says, yeah, I'll hire you and having to deliver on what it is that they promised them. And it's not because they're not capable. It's just they haven't done it before. And whenever we haven't done something, we think it's way harder than it actually is. Right. Um, One of the things that I've been telling people a lot lately is that there's, in my opinion, are two different types of clients. And there's a type of client that is better for somebody that's a beginner getting into virtual assistant work for the first time. And there's a type of client that is going to be better for somebody that has more experience under their belt. The first type of client has things in their business that they're doing or their other team members are doing that they really don't have time or capacity for, but they're still priorities in the business. They still need to get done, just not necessarily by any one person, especially the business owner. So there's some systems and there's some processes around that work, even if it's in the head of the business owner, right? So even if it's only knowledge that the person that does it and owns that task or that project does, it still exists. And what we need to do as the virtual assistant and potentially as that small business owner is to create the pathway from getting it out of their own head onto some sort of SOP or standard operating procedure. And in my experience, the very easiest way to do this is to download the Loom extension, which Mm -hmm. is a free Chrome extension that allows you to film your screen either with your little picture or your live um, frame in the corner and talk them through how you're doing something in real time as you do it. The great thing is, is you're recording it and you can just share that link super easily and your virtual assistant then can rewatch it as many times as they need to and pause and, you know, fast forward or rewind and watch it again so that they're doing things in the right order and they know exactly how to access things. And you can also use that platform to, you know, give a thumbs up like you understand or comment if you have a question at a specific timestamp so that that client knows exactly where the virtual assistant has a question. So, I mean, that seems pretty kind of like basic and you know, that first task, it might be good for it to be more basic as well. You don't want to train somebody new that you don't even know whether or not this is going to work out on something that's very integral to your business's success yeah, and give yeah. them kind of the keys to the castle, right? Yeah. So instead, I always suggest that people start with like a trial period of time if it's a reoccurring task or a trial project so you guys can get to know one another before you get married. Yeah, that's a good advice. Well, that's good advice for anyone. What about the second type of client you mentioned? Yeah, thank you for reminding me. The second type of client is somebody that's looking for something new to be done in their business. So they're Um. not already doing this um, process or this task in their business. And they're more than likely looking for a specialist that has done it before and can come on in and implement the new process within the business environment, skipping that business owner from having to learn it from scratch themselves and delegate it out. 
So yeah. for example, they might want to run paid ads on Facebook or on Google. Um, and you know, they're looking for some virtual help and they want to go find somebody that, you know, has experience doing that thing, especially if they can't teach uh, the process to the person that they're onboarding onto their team. So when I think about hiring a virtual assistant, I think the first thing that comes to mind as a red flag is this, the concern around security, data, mm. passwords, or the vetting process. Like, how do we know this person? So walk us through how someone can get to that comfort level in hiring a VA, not only who someone who will do a good job, but someone they can trust. Yeah, that's a great question. And you know, what's interesting is I almost want to kind of flip the script and, and ask it back to you, because if I understand correctly, you're working with clients all over the United States and potentially the world too, yeah. that don't necessarily meet you in person, right? Yeah. So how do you encourage that level of, of trust with your clients that are meeting you for the first time? Oh, I love it. You did turn the tables. Thank you for doing that. Um, well, some of my clients come from word of mouth, so they are referrals. So there's a level of trust there. And then sometimes I'll use other platforms to find people like Upwork is pretty popular. And for whatever reason, you know, I feel like when there is a big platform that is well known that there is some type of vetting going through, it doesn't necessarily guarantee a trustworthy client, but there is some connection. There is a footprint of finding yeah. someone. So uh, I guess I'm looking for a connection that I know how this person is coming to me or how I can follow up if there is a problem. Yes. I love the footprint element that you just added. So for example, somebody kind of what I consider cold pitched me into our support inbox the other day mm. to like raise her hand and offer her services saying that she was a former coach and she has shifted her business to work with people like me that train virtual assistants. Mm. And that piqued my curiosity because at least it was a specific pitch. I'm on the receiving end of all sorts of horrible pitches where people <laughs> have no idea who I am and they're just <laughs> wasting their time by sending a message that's not at all personalized. So yeah. for anyone that's prospecting, tip for the day, make sure that you take time to research who you're pitching and personalize your pitch, knowing their name and a couple of details that you might have something in common with them to engage them and start a conversation versus just like showing up uninvited in their inbox with a very non-specific offer. Amen. Anyhow, when she sent this email to me, um, her website was listed in the footer of her email. And so I clicked on it to check her out and it came back that it was a 404 error, which means that oh. I couldn't get through to her website. And to me, that's kind of like a red flag then. Right. Yeah. And so when I replied to her, cause I was curious to see how she went about this process and maybe there would be some synergy between our businesses. Um, so I asked her about that and she replied saying that she had decided to take it down and that's totally understandable. Oh, okay. But, on her, she should probably remove that from her footer, right? Before she sends and it I'd out, And I asked yes. her where else I could check her out, and she said LinkedIn, and then that I could just Google her, which I thought was kind of funny. Um, but she didn't reply with any links. So another tip for those of you that are prospecting is make it super effing easy on the person <laughs> that you're communicating with so that they yes. can just click a link to check you out. So if you're saying that you're on LinkedIn, find the specific profile link for you yeah. so that they can just click. And that again, it makes it easy, but it also increases like the trust factor when it comes to the fact that you'll be easy to work with, that you'll be able to help them and not be a lot of work on their end to train. So there's little things like that, that I think 
equal to trust and the footprint and social proof and all that good stuff. So when it comes to hiring help, I think the biggest thing for business owners needs to be taking the time to figure out what exactly you need. Um, I'm reading Clockwork right now by Mike Michalowicz. He wrote Profit First and a couple other titles that are really good. He's like a small business entrepreneurship author. Um, no relationship with him. So just check out his stuff if you want to. But there's no skin in the game for me. Um, listening to this book, though, he illustrated this process. Um, I think kind of the definition of insanity that a lot of small business owners <laughs> or entrepreneurs go through when it comes to wanting to hire help. So imagine yourself a solopreneur, a business of one, wearing all the hats, doing all the things. And for a while, that's what we have to do in order to, you know, make enough money to support ourselves while we're growing our business, right? right? So it's totally normal in the beginning stages of your business. But then you get to the point where hopefully you have too much to do and you have a little bit of extra money coming in where you might be able to hire a virtual assistant or a team member. And oftentimes what ends up happening is we get super excited about this because they're going to like save our lives and get us organized <laughs> and it's going to be just this most amazing thing. Right. But if we don't onboard them appropriately, if we actually don't find the right person in the first place, somebody that is a quick learner and is always kind of spotting opportunities for improvement. So there's some different personality characteristics that I personally would look like, look for when adding to my team. But we also have to take ownership over the fact, too, that they're going to be learning about us and learning about our business. So oftentimes we will wait until we're too busy to look for help yeah. and then we don't have enough time to properly onboard and train someone. And it's a disservice to both us and to that virtual assistant. So it's one thing to kind of keep in mind. But here's that circle of insanity that people go through. They hire somebody with the expectation they're going to save their world and help them grow their business. They don't have enough time to train properly and or the communication and expectation hasn't been set for that person to really uh, create ownership over the tasks and the role that they're serving for yeah. you. And so they have lots of questions and they don't necessarily... Uh, catalog those questions so that they can reflect back on them later. And so they're asking the same questions and all of a sudden you're the bottleneck for all of the work that you're doing with them, which is very frustrating. And so then you go back and you're like, oh shoot, I should just do this myself. It would save me yeah. so much time and be so much easier. So you lay off the person and then you're back to this business of one and then, oh wait, you're too busy. You've got some extra money. Hiring somebody will save my world and you get <laughs> popped back up into it. And so I guess what that boils down to is, yes, we need to find the right person. We also need to start that off on kind of that test relationship to make sure we're the right fit because yeah. we can all carry ourselves well for a moment. But what does it actually look like to work together? And then I think the creating of ownership is that next phase that people miss. How do we set that person up for success? How do we maybe allow them to make a few mistakes that aren't going to significantly adversely affect our business? And how do they fare in that circumstance? Are they able to recover from that and learn from it and improve from that? Or do they have to come to us with every small problem and question? 
Do you have any parting thoughts for us on people such as yourself who were doing a side hustle like you were waking up at 4.30 in the morning, by the way? When I read that on your bio, I was like, okay, now I feel like a wimp because I'm waking up at 5.45 and I've been trying to push myself to wake up at 5.30 and then I read that Gina woke up at 4.30. So any uh, parting thoughts for people who have this side hustle? It doesn't have to be a VA, just a side hustle and they want to make it their primary gig. What would you leave us with? Yeah, I mean, I think it's possible. And I think that there's like a tipping point that we all get to, right? So I started my business as a side hustle because I needed it to be viable. I needed proof that it would work and that I could build it up to the extent where it could potentially replace my full-time job. Now, I got up at 4.30 in the morning because I had a 10-month-old and uh, like a year and a half or two-year-old at the time. They're like 19 months apart. So whatever that math is. Yeah. Um, And I just had very finite amount of time. And so I could feel um, okay about getting up early when they were still sleeping. I didn't have that mommy guilt Mm -hmm. about taking that time to do something different, even though it was contributing to our entire family. It's a real thing, the mommy guilt. So I would work for about two hours, then I would get in the shower, nurse the baby, get ready for work, and then go to work. And I worked better in the morning. Some people work better in the evening, like do you, whatever works, right? But there ended up being a time as I got more successful and took on more clients that there was that tipping point that came. For those of you that have flexibility and you're working full time, like see if you can um, go down from a five day work week down to four or maybe down to three. If you're in an industry or a company that allows for some of that flexibility, that can be a really great fit as you build up your business and then you can kind of transfer that time down in your corporate position. And then one of the things uh, that I think works well for a lot of people, including myself, is your former employer. I'm like, make sure to keep that relationship on oh, a good yeah. foot, a good standing. Yes. Don't burn any bridges. Nope. That can become one of your next clients as you're transitioning full-time to contract work. So keep that in mind. I think that's really great advice because we are seeing what they call either the big resignation or the big quit. And I've got someone coming on in a couple of weeks talking about that, like what to do before you quit. And I think one of those things is to exit gracefully, like pretend Mm. that you're going to be back to them in two weeks because you very well may do that. So I think this has been so helpful, Gina. I can't thank you enough for taking the time to talk to us today. Absolutely. It's been a pleasure. Okay. Take care. You too. Okay, now it's your turn. We want to hear from you. Let us know what career questions you need help with. Send us an email to info at jobtalkweekly.com or leave us a review and mention the topics you'd like to hear. To learn more about our services or read articles with more career advice, visit our website, jobtalkweekly.com. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next time.